Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 1 Kings chapter 15 from the World English Bible. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with Yahweh his God, as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, Yahweh his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem, because David did that which was right in Yahweh's eyes and didn't turn away from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. The rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? There was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in David's city, and Asa his son reigned in his place. In the twentieth year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. He reigned forty-one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. Asa did that which was right in Yahweh's eyes, as David his father did. He put away the Sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. He also removed Maacah, his mother, from being queen, because she had made an abominable image for an Asherah. Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect with Yahweh all his days. He brought into Yahweh's house the things that his father had dedicated and the things that he himself had dedicated, silver, gold, and utensils. There was war between Asa and Baasha king of Israel all their days. Baasha king of Israel went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might not allow anyone to go out or come in to Asa king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and the gold that was left in the treasures of Yahweh's house and the treasures of the king's house and delivered it into the hand of his servants. Then king Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabrimam, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who lived at Damascus, saying, There is a treaty between me and you, between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent to you a present of silver and gold. Go, break your treaty with Baasha king of Israel, that he may depart from me. Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel and struck Ijon and Dan and Abel-Beth-Maacah and Alchinaroth, with all the land of Naphtali. When Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and lived in Tirzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah. No one was exempted. 
they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had built, and King Asa used it to build Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. Now the rest of all the acts of Asa and all his might and all that he did and the cities which he built, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in his father David's city, and Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his place. Nadab the son of Jeroboam began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight, and walked in the way of his father, and in his sin with which he made Israel to sin. Baasha the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar conspired against him, and Baasha struck him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, for Nadab and all Israel were besieging Gibbethon. Even in the third year of Asa king of Judah, Baasha killed him and reigned in his place. As soon as he was king, he struck all the house of Jeroboam. He didn't leave to Jeroboam any who breathed until he had destroyed him according to the saying of Yahweh, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite, for the sins of Jeroboam which he sinned, and with which he made Israel to sin, because of his provocation with which he provoked Yahweh, the God of Israel, to anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab, and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? There was war between Asa and Baasha king of Israel all their days. In the third year of Asa king of Judah, Baasha the son of Ahijah began to reign over all Israel in Tirzah for twenty-four years. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight, and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin with which he made Israel to sin. That is the end of chapter 15. First off, let's note that names are difficult, not because they're hard to pronounce, which they often are, but also because they are often rendered with different spellings in different books of the Bible or even in different translations. So, for instance, Abijam, as he is called here in the beginning of this chapter, is rendered, translated as Abijah in 2 Chronicles 13 in the World English Bible. And this is a variation that is found in other translations as well. I looked at a number of resources and tried to compare ages um, in the text here and also looking at the chronology of the Old Testament that I've referred to before by Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones. Um, And it seems like Asa was probably around age 18 when he became king. While we're talking about names, let's also talk about this name Ma'aka. It is also spelled differently in different translations. And then we have the little bit where she, the same person, the same daughter, is listed as the mother of Abijah and the mother of Asa. Well, in some translations, it actually translates it as Asa's grandmother. I didn't find any particular explanation for that, but they also said that possibly she was the queen mother that Asa's mother, for some reason, was not around, and so she functioned as his mother. And there is a previous example of this, if you will recall, when um, the Gibeonites ask for some retribution for Saul's sons who went to war and killed the Gibeonites, that David included the sons of 
Michal, his first wife, but they weren't David's sons and they weren't really McCall's sons. They were her older sister's sons, but she was referred to as their mother or they were referred to as her sons anyway because she cared for them. Also, if you do a word search, uh, for instance, on the Blue Letter Bible for the word or name Ma'aka, you will find that it is all throughout the Bible, both as a place name and as a name of many other people. In fact, Absalom, David's son, was the son of David's wife, who was named Ma'aka. In 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 20, 21, it says that Rehoboam loved Ma'aka, the daughter of Absalom, more than his other wives and concubines. And incidentally, he had 18 wives and 60 concubines and fathered 28 sons and 60 daughters. But he wanted to appoint her son, Abijah, or Abijam, depending on the translation, to be his successor. Now, the explanation here also for calling Ma'aka the daughter of Absalom is the difference in spellings and um, the rendering of the Hebrew. We know that the Absalom that belonged to David only had the daughter Tamar listed in the Bible. Although one reference in David Gusick's commentary on the Blue Letter Bible claims that she was probably the granddaughter of Absalom, the child of Tamar, and hence that reference, but I couldn't find anything linking those together, even though they gave two scriptures. It didn't tie the father and mother together in a way that I could understand. So sometimes it is definitely easier than others to follow the names of these people. But let's talk now about how all of this ties in with Yahweh's promise to David that he made in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. This was an unconditional promise in terms of what David's descendants would be doing, that they would be on the throne, regardless of what they acted like, but because of the promise to David. Now, the promise is a blessing because of David's faith, but it's not dependent on what his descendants do. Thus, the importance of documenting the kingly line. And God also made promises to Abraham about his offspring through Isaac. So the two promises are intertwined, and the history of the people of Israel is also important. There are lots of charts online giving a visual representation of the kings and kingdoms of Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms. I will link to one that I found by Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones. It looks too small when you first click on it, but you can easily zoom in and it can be helpful to be able to view the information this way. So we see here in this chapter that David's great grandson, Abijam, was wicked, yet because of David, the line continues. This makes me consider again what Jesus said to the Sadducees in Mark 12, verses 26 through 27, about God being the God of the living. Why would promises to David matter at all if David was not living? Certainly he's passed from this world, but those with faith in God live on. They're not separated from God and death. We do have an instance in this chapter of where when it says that David is his father, it means that he is descended from David, not that he is directly his son. So Asa is David's great-great-grandson, but I'm not going to keep referring to the kings this way. But probably if I do refer to them and I want to keep in mind how far from David they are, I will use the same method that is used in Genesis 5 and Jude 1-4. Recall in Jude, it calls Enoch the seventh from Adam. So it counts Adam as number one. So Asa is fifth from David. 
though a meager count in years compared to the Adam to Enoch lineage. And Asa had the uncomfortable job of removing his own grandmother from queenship due to her idolatry. The command to not worship other gods moderates just how and how much someone should honor his mother or father. According to the law, she should have been stoned, but he did at least take the public action of cutting down her images and removing her from position of power and influence to the same extent. She was probably pretty mad and humiliated. And then in verse 11, it says, The heart of Asa was perfect with Yahweh all his days. Notice that it says this, even though he made some mistakes, which we're going to refer to. The idea seems to be that he didn't worship any other gods, even though he did not always completely trust and inquire of God like he should. Verse 15 makes it sound like all of the utensils that had been made for the temple had been taken out to use for other things. But unfortunately, even though he puts them in, and we first hear of Baasha, king of Israel here, although we'll get a more complete picture of him later in the chapter. So what happens is Asa then goes and uses these treasures to make a political treaty. And we have a record in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 7 through 10, that he was reprimanded for this and told that he didn't get the victory that he might have had if he had trusted God. In verse 17, when it says built Ramah, my first thought was that it meant fortified. And also, uh, if you look at the New English translation, it does translate it that way. So, But also, Ramah is mentioned as existing previously in many places in the Bible, in Joshua, in Judges, but even more recently compared to this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11, and chapter 7, 17, as where the prophet Samuel lived. In verse 23, where it mentions his feet, it almost seems like it's stuck in there and it's out of place. But if you look again in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 12, you see that this is mentioned because he didn't trust God the way he should have. He didn't ask God for help. So then in verse 27, we have the prophecies against Jeroboam carried out, not because God put the wickedness in Baasha's heart, but because when we're not following God, we are more vulnerable to the wickedness of men. And Jeroboam had spurned the promises that God made him when he spurned God. Note here another name thing regarding Baasha. Baasha is the son of an Ahijah, but of the tribe of Issachar, whereas the Ahijah, the prophet, is a Shilonite, and Ahijah or Abijam, the son of Rehoboam, is of the line of David in the tribe of Judah. Now, just to clarify here regarding Jeroboam being vulnerable to the wickedness of men, we are not all promised that we won't ever suffer if we do everything right. We are told, even by Jesus, that we will have persecution while we're in this world. But there is a level of protection from the evil and wickedness of the world that we have because we are sealed by his Holy Spirit. Plus, we also have an ultimate hope that far supersedes any temporary persecution here under the sun, if I may borrow a phrase from Ecclesiastes. Just a note that I probably will not do an episode tomorrow because we'll be going out of town for the night. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 